Welcome to Hive Mind. I'm Meg. I'm on Zoom tonight with Eli and Rebby. Hey guys. Hi. We have a COVID, uh, you know, rate of like 10,000%. So we decided to Zoom this week just to play it safe. Um, Rebby, thanks so much for being here. Tell us what you've been watching. Of course. Um, well, I'm embarrassed to say that I finally started watching Emily in Paris. I have been holding off for a while. I feel like I've, it's like a show that I might have binged, you know, mindlessly on a weekend in the past, but I've asked so many people about it and everyone's like, eh. like it truly has seemed so meh to so many people that it took me being in like a, a very exhausted state to finally start watching it. But I don't know. It's like exactly, have you guys watched it? Uh, Rebby, I have watched it. And if you said Meg, Right now, would you like to come over and we can start Emily in Paris all over again from that first episode? I would get in my, I'd be on my way. <laughs> really? Okay. I feel like I, well, it knows what it is, right? I like, I'm enjoying it in the way you enjoy a Hallmark movie. It's not yeah. as bad as a Hallmark movie, right? It's beautiful. The people are beautiful. The accents are beautiful. The clothes are, I had to text a friend and be like, are her clothes cute? Or do I not know about fashion? Like her clothes are terrible, right? The bucket hats are abominable. And like the fingerless gloves, like season two, she's, she I don't, is yeah. Coco Chanel's worst nightmare. Yeah. She's like Elle Woods is what she looks like. And <laughs> Elle Woods, if Elle Woods was on meth. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's really tacky, but it's, I don't, I'm almost through the second season and it's just been like, yeah, again, a, a mindless distraction that. With lots of musical numbers. What's with the musical numbers? Uh, Have you watched it? Couldn't tell you. No, I don't think I don't think I could. Yeah, I don't think it's for me. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's not for. I don't know who it's for. Me, I guess. It's for nobody, and that's what makes it so enjoyable because every choice they make is wrong, but it's intoxicating. Well, and I keep wondering, like, is this offensive to French people or like, is it being intentional with the stereotypes, like being out of control for American and French people? Cause it's like, you know, they're all like super cool and like mean and like sexy. And (laughs) I don't know. It's just like, it's every stereotype you've ever heard. I think it's offensive to every nationality on the on the show that's like the one british guy is like oh i love i love football like he's like such a <laughs> meet you at the pub than, mate <laughs> yes yeah he's like yeah oh my gosh it's i think once i saw him i was like okay we're just making fun of everyone everyone is like dialed to a thousand and that's what this is but i know it, it was i think it was truly written by like a f- fifth grade class as yeah. a, a project and you know netflix was like green light well, it's the producer of Sex and the City, right? And I never watched that. Oh, I so I feel like, did you watch Sex and the City? That was like very naughty when I was growing up. Right. I, yeah, I didn't write, watch it for that reason. And I've never watched it since. So I feel like it's too far gone for me to jump on that boat. But I'm like, I'm wondering if this is similar. I don't, I guess none of us can say. Right. No, but I'm so happy for you. Thank you. It's so not good, but so fun to watch. It is. It really is. And it's like, yeah, it's, I would say it's again, okay, because it knows what it is, right? It's not trying to be, it's like Hallmark movie plus. The season two ended and I was legitimately sad. Okay. Well, I I think I have two more episodes, so 
Okay, Don't well, spoil it. I'll be text really me interested. when you finish. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> what else have you been watching? Um, honestly, nothing. We moved and we moved a week after Christmas and I just needed some mindless thing. So Emily in Paris is kind of it for me. Just the ticket. Eli, what have you been watching? Well, Search Party, the new season has dropped and we watched the, the first episode last night. It's great. I What I really like about this show is every season is completely different. There, It's almost like it almost has a different vibe every season. Yeah. I was thinking about like this season is so wacky compared to season one, which had an element of seriousness to it. Um, but the, my favorite thing about this show is, and I don't know to what level John Early is involved in the writing, but he is his character and his character storylines are so good at parodying like the worst parts of gay culture. <laughs> and so like the first episode is him immediately getting back together with his like toxic acts that they're just like terrible for each other and agreeing that they're just going to be toxic together and then going and buying a child from like an agency that like created a child like basically in a lab for them that's like a a proper 11 year old boy who just like follows them around the house with a big grin and like the whole thing is so funny to me the writing of this show is brilliant yeah and like i i am glad that this is the last season i think that they need to wrap it up but like they have given season after season of incredible content in this show. They really have. Right now. What's that? How many seasons are there? Is this five, Meg? I think yeah, this, is, this season... is the fifth and final. Yeah. Unless five. it's six. <laughs> it's five or six. Know. Now I'm second guessing myself. Rebby, have you ever watched Search Party? I, I haven't. I watched, I think I watched the first one or two, but then no, I haven't watched it since. Do I need to? It's a great binge. I mean, it's, I actually disagree. I think that you have to watch it one episode at a time. You can't watch multiple episodes in a row because it can get, it it can get dark. It's so funny. It's probably the funniest show on it's, is it even on TV? I think it's just streaming, but, um, it's the humor is very dark. So I can do like one a night and then I have to watch something lighter. Well, I'll just combine it with Emily in Paris and we'll be good. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) The humor is dark. I did binge it like the the first three and a half seasons I binged and and I loved it, but it depends on what you're, I can't binge violence and this is not violent, but it is dark humor and I'm fine with binging dark humor. I I also can't binge TV shows that are really screamy. I don't like it when Mm -hmm. people are screaming at each other a lot. And this is just kind of like witty. It's like they wrote these characters to kind of be the worst versions of people that you know in real life, but somehow you still are rooting for them and they're still lovable. Like exactly our age, like elder millennials. It's like watching your peers that you hate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's fun. So I finished season two of the morning show. Guys, I love this show. I'm sorry. Um, uh, uh, Allison Shugnight, our uh, uh, social media person and and friend of the podcast, she tweeted today, I feel, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like, everybody who watches the morning show talks about it like they're sorry. And and it's, I I thought thinking about, I think I, I tweeted back to her and I was like, yeah, I always talk about it in the same tone as somebody who gave up on their diet. Like, well, I have been watching the morning show. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it's so addictive and it's so fun. I love it. This week they announced they hired a new showrunner and it was like, why? Like it's working. <laughs> and also like, haven't monkeys been writing it up to this point? That seems cheaper, you know, and people are watching. So stick with what works. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last thing is uh, on Peacock, periodically uh, Peacock will release a whole bunch of new super cuts of the, of the office. And mm. they just released a whole like slew of them. And so whenever that happens, Skylar and I will go and look up which ones have like new footage. And it's a, it's not like another five seconds of this episode. It's like long scenes like that they just cut and that we've never seen before. And it's been really fun to go and watch a show that I'm super familiar with and be like, there is this whole entire scene that like we've never seen of these characters doing something that's pretty good. Um, and so we've been enjoying that. If you're an office fan, I would recommend doing that. Just like Google, you can find like the list of episodes that are like this 22 episode, this 22 minute episode is now 35 minutes long. Go rewatch it and see what's new. And it's been really enjoyable. Is there anything else on Peacock that is worth getting it for? They have, um, Oh, I just saw that they, well, they, they have like all of the Harry Potter movies, if that matters to you. Like if you want to binge all the Harry Potter movies, um, a lot of the NBC shows that I really liked from the two thousands, they're starting to get rights to. It's weird to me that they don't already have them. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, cause we were, we were recently rewatching 30 rock on Netflix and I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. it came back to Netflix, but that was surprising given that yeah, they're they're. I think they're waiting for contracts to end on a lot of these streaming services so that they can take their shows back. Um, but like we were looking for uh, American Dreams, which was like an NBC show from the early 2000s. I really liked and they didn't have it. And I was just like, if you guys don't have this, who does? <laughs> like, yeah. it's it's really weird. And the, I mean, I'm the only person in America that had CBS All Access, but like credit where credit is due, they like owned all of the CBS shows. And so it was like anything that was on CBS, you could find it there. And I don't know why Peacock hasn't gotten, gotten their game together yet, but um, they do have the Saved by the Bell reboot, if you're interested in that, Ooh. which is um, produced by some of the same people from 30 Rock. And it's got, it's, it's fine. It's got a fun vibe. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, what about you, Meg? Um, well, I was going to talk about Emily in Paris and I was going to talk about search party. And the only other thing is the other two, we finished season two of the other two, and it is really, really great. And there is an episode where he, one of the characters has to write an entire screenplay in a day. And I think that the three of us can relate to that anxiety when there's something you have to write and you just cannot get yourself to sit down and start typing watching it i understood it objectively as a funny episode of television but the anxiety it gave me i was reeling from for days <laughs> but that's a testament to how good the show is and how well done it is um Eli, I'd be interested to hear what you think about it because I think it handles gay relationships uh, better than any TV comedy I've seen. And I think a large part of that is because one of the two showrunners is um, a gay man and they're just treated with the exact same 
level of objectivity as straight relationships in a really refreshing way and in a really funny way. So I hope you watch it because I want to talk about it with you. Rebby, have you seen it? Mm -mm. It's on HBO Max right now. I think Comedy Central airs it in real time. It is raunchy, but I think it's probably one of the funniest shows currently available. That's interesting because I not too long ago, I asked on Twitter if anybody could think of a show that featured a gay relationship where coming out was not part of the story mm-hmm. and nobody could come up with one. Like people would, would bring up one and then they'd be like, Oh wait, no, there was an episode where they had to come out to so-and-so. And it was just like, yeah, it just like doesn't exist. And I would really love to see it just handled in a different I, way. Yeah. <laughs> so in this episode, where he has to, uh, sorry, I'm going to do the worst thing possible and like try and tell you about a funny episode of TV and it's going to not be funny. But in this episode where he has to try and write an entire screenplay in a day, he starts jotting down ideas in a notebook and one of them's gay and one of them is mean dad and one of them is feels bad. <laughs> and then he goes to like a one man show And this guy stands up and he's like, I'm gay. And my dad was mean about it. And I feel bad. And everyone in the audience is like, (laughs) (laughs) so I think they do a really good job of like taking these, like the gay storylines that we're all like tired of at this point, you know, because it's like, just let these people have actual stories and like turns it on its head. So I think you'd enjoy it, but I've, I've heard it. And this is, this feels like a similar vibe, but I've heard people uh, complain about male writers writing female characters and saying yeah. they don't know what to do with them except make them pregnant, make them get pregnant or go shopping. Like that's all they can do. And and I sometimes feel about like straight people, they don't know what to do with gay characters except make them come out and have tr- trauma around that. And it's just like, it, it just it gets so old and you're like, you know, like we'd love to see other parts of these people's lives. And so. Yeah. And this is very much about him trying to be an actor and having to wrestle with social media (laughs) in like a really fun way. So the other two recommend it. Um, And then Rebby, you suggested that we watch The Lost Daughter. I am sorry. No, I can't wait to talk about this. (sighs) It was so completely different from what I was expecting. Why don't you tell us your relationship with this story and why you recommended it to start? Yeah, so... Okay, I think we should probably start by talking about Elena Ferrante, who is the author of the novella, The Source Material, right? So she is an Italian author who has written since like, I think the mid to late 90s, maybe she's published maybe 10 books. The most popular are her, the they're called the Neapolitan novels. There are four of them. And it's just a series that um, spans a friendship between these two women for from when their child's from their children to when they're um, like in their sixties. And those are the first things I read of hers. And I love them so much. Like everything she writes is obviously in Italian first, but there's so much hype around her because she writes under a pseudonym and no one knows who she is. And it's just very rare, right. In this day and age where it's like, most people get a book deal because of their blog or, you know, after they get a book deal have to become like deal with social media. Right. And like do the whole thing. And she's kind of just, obviously no one knows anything about her, right? People suspect all her books are set in Naples. And so people kind of suspect that most of what she writes is semi-autobiographical at least. 
Um, and there have, it's interesting because people like get so hyped up. I was just actually today looking on her Wikipedia page and it talks about all the people who've tried to figure out who she is. And like a lot of people will say she's a man, which is, I don't know, offensive to me because everything she writes is about the female experience, which who knows? I don't know. (laughs) I would be shocked. Right. But, um, it's interesting. Like one of them even said that there was like this team of like computer scientists and scholars analyzed 150 novels to, um, try and like compare author styles to figure out who it was. Like people are like obsessed with her and like, I just think it's so amazing that her books are so prolific, but she's just doing it her own way. Right. So, um, her books, so it's interesting. I've read those, those four, the Neapolitan novels are some of my favorite books ever. Like they're the only books I've read where while I'm reading on them, I'm like, oh, wow, this is what it's like to read a classic. Like that was published while you're alive. Okay. And it's funny. They're probably my most recommended and least read books (laughs) because like there's, you know, four of them. And the first one I think was kind of hard to get through, but I like, I feel like every, everything you experience as a woman, I feel like is contained in these books. And she just has this way of writing, um, maybe it's because they're originally in another language. I feel like anything I've read that was originally in another language, there's, there's just no cliche, right. Because it's obviously been translated. So those, that's what I was coming into this with, um, knowing that it was her, but I hadn't read the novella yet. So I've read two other of no of her novellas. And so I watched this movie before I read the novella. And I would say that watching the movie was, I'm like the word I think the word is like harrowing. Like that's how I felt watching the movie. And I've been on a journey with it. So I watched the movie, had that experience, which first of all, I watched it. I told you this, Meg, it came out on New Year's Eve. We were going to lose our internet because we were moving. I was like, we have to watch it tonight. And then we watched it and it was possibly the most depressing way to ring in a year in which you're about to have a child, which I'm going to, (laughs) like, we both were like, Oh my gosh, that was horrible. (laughs) Um, What have we done? Let's uh, figure out what to do. So we, after that, I've, I went back and reread the novella or read the novella this week. And I kind of have had a change of heart. So that, I just feel like that needs to be said because there is a lot, like almost everything that she's made has been adapted into film or TV. And I've never been tempted to watch it before because I feel like it's so not plot driven that I'm like, this doesn't even make sense in TV. Like it's, it needs to be in literature, but I wanted to try this and see if it was different again, because, you know, Maggie Jill and Hall anglicized it. Like I knew she was going to take some more liberties and it wasn't going to be an exact retelling of the story. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I feel like I want to like pause there because I feel like I've kind of changed since when I initially watched it, but I'm curious what you guys think. Have you ever heard of Elena Fronte? Have you read anything of hers? Do you go into it blind? And if so, how was your experience watching the movie? Well, I, the first I heard of it is when you texted and said, Hey, Hey, can we do hive mind about this? Um, and then you said Olivia Coleman was in it. And so I was immediately on board and I watched the trailer, uh, and it looked very good. Um, I had not heard of this author, except I think again, in you speaking about her possibly in a book club, um, or in, you know, those later texts where you recommended this movie, this movie, um, halfway through, I turned to Steven and was like, I think we need to finish this tomorrow because I'm so stressed out. 
Um, and it, which is interesting because it's not a movie where a lot happens. Uh, again, like you said, it's not plot driven. There is a reveal. It's I, I thought a child was going to die in this movie. That's what I thought. I thought the lost daughter was going to be about a mother who had lost a child. And I think that the movie intentionally lets you believe that for a while. Um, and I have a really hard time with dead children. So I, I didn't know if I would be able to stomach this. The reveal instead was so much more interesting. And I want to be very careful before I continue talking here to say that I am fine and my family is fine and I am not going to leave my family. <laughs> yes. But there were real moments in oh. this where I could very much relate to what this young mother was going through and the frustration she was feeling. And quite candidly, the, de the depression that comes with being at home with young children for days on end and on the heels of COVID-19, when we have all been with our kids way more than what is natural. I think that this movie really speaks to that angst that a lot of young parents feel. There is a moment in this movie where she says motherhood is a crushing responsibility. And there was a whale that like emitted from our basement. <laughs> I was like, the timing on that was impeccable. And I know I sound like a monster, but that's kind of the problem, that's right? The like to that's speak about this honestly yeah. makes yeah. you sound like a monster. Well, yeah. and that is the point of, I think, everything she writes. And it's interesting because it's, I think the four, the Neapolitan novels do it in a way because they're focused on a friendship. They have, there's something redeeming about it. The two novellas I've read, one is about, right, this motherhood. And the yeah. other one is about a woman whose um, husband has an affair. And the two novellas are like full, um, they're way more gut rent, not even gut-wrenching, just like dark, like bleak. Yeah. I feel like for the Neapolitan novels, there's, I, maybe it's because they span enough time that there's, and, and I think it's just such an interesting topic because it's, a, you know, the love story is a friendship and it's not even a love, you know, they're, best friends, but they're jealous and they, you know, compete over in school and with boys and like, it, but it's done in such a way that is so real and raw. And like, it, it's so refreshing to read something that just puts words to feelings you've had, but felt like you couldn't vocalize. And I almost feel like with these novellas, she, I feel like she dials it way up because she wants you to say like, there was a point at which can we have spoilers? Are we having spoilers or should? Yeah, we let's let's. Okay. Uh, yes, because I think it's impossible not, to talk about without. Yeah. So, like at the end, Scott was like, "Okay," and we need to talk about the doll. Why she took the doll, right? But yeah. in the end, like Scott was like, "So she just went crazy? Like, did she go crazy?" And I was like, "No, no feminist writes a story in which she just is crazy." You know, I'm like, I. But I think she almost puts these actions that do seem crazy to to make you want to go there and then like have to question that reaction, if that makes sense. Yeah. Before we yeah. go any further, Eli, I want to, I want to hear your impression yes. of this movie. Yeah. So, it, and, and we should say in case anybody has not seen it and you're not interested in seeing it, there truly is not much of a plot to this film. like Rebbe mentioned, but basically this is a movie where Olivia Coleman is in her late forties. She's gone on holiday to Italy and she runs into 
these other people who are on holiday, this big family who is kind of rough around the edges. They're like from New York and she's having some pretty uncomfortable interactions with them. And that showing flashbacks to her being a mother early on to two young girls and not being a very warm mother. And then ultimately she reveals to one of the people who are on vacation with her uh, or in the same place that she abandoned her children for a few years and she's been grappling with the fact that she did that and the fact that she had a pretty good time while she was away from them. And it felt, quote, amazing to her. Um, and that that's sort of the whole movie. And it's just sort of scene after scene of her interacting with these people. And I, I will tell you, this movie was so stressful to me, largely because they make you think throughout the movie that something terrible is about to happen. The entire movie, I was like, these people are going to kill her. She's going to have like a run in with them. They're going to catch her, you know, doing something that they don't like. And, or we're going to find out that a, a child has died, you know, like throughout the movie, you're just like scene by scene, like this is when it's going to hit the fan. And then the movie ended and nothing really bad ever happened in the movie. And I thought I was like, oh, like no, the, the other shoe never dropped. And I was kind of annoyed. And then I thought about it for the rest of the night. And I was like, the terrible thing that was happening was her grappling with the fact that she has all these complicated emotions about her own motherhood. And I'll just say kind of in the days since I've watched this, the biggest takeaway for me and what I keep thinking about is I, I'm not a parent. And so I can't relate to it on the on that level that, that the two of you can. But I have had moments where I think about the, the fear of having children and feeling stuck and then what? And this is like, you can laugh at this example, but when I first raised a puppy, I remember sitting on my kitchen floor and feeling so trapped in my house with this dog and being like, I kind of regret getting this dog. And I had this terror come over me. And I was like, with children, it'll be a thousand times more serious. What if I get children and I'm immediately like, what did I do? I can't do this. And like, how bad does that make me as a person that that's a possibility when like so many people are great parents and they can do this. And, and so I've been thinking the last couple of days about just sort of that aspect. And I, I would love to hear your guys's thoughts. There's this scene between um, Dakota Johnson, who is one of the vacationers uh, where she's talking to um, oh, what's her name? The protagonist. Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman, where she's talking to Olivia Coleman and Olivia Coleman reveals to her, I left my children for three years and she's crying and she's like, obviously, you know, just kind of releasing this. And Dakota Johnson's character says, well, how did that feel? And she and Olivia Coleman, amazing performance. She just goes amazing, you know, and she's just like, she's like so upset that that's her answer, but she's just like, I'm not going to lie about it. It was amazing. Um, what was that kind of message and scene like for the two of you as parents? Oh, <laughs> complicated. I mean, I think it was really interesting to feel like I, to feel how much I judged her when she said amazing, you know, and, and like the moment where she Oh, just those little painful moments where her daughter, like, you know, cuts her finger and she's like, mom, kiss it, kiss it. But she won't kiss it. Cause she's just so mad that her daughter has like interrupted her, you know? And like those moments where it's like, 
you know, you're not behaving your best, but like you can't. And it's, it was just interesting. Like seeing, seeing her do those things and feeling like, oh, that is my gut reaction being what a horrible mother. And then thinking like, okay, but wait, do I actually, is, is that my reaction actually, because I relate to this more than I want to admit. (laughs) And I thought it was interesting line after that, she says, what made you go back or, or something? She says, well, I felt like I was about to explode. And then I exploded. And like, I almost felt like, and, and then Dakota Johnson says like, oh, so that doesn't sound good. But I think she did mean that that was good. It's like, she felt like she had to contain everything. And then she just finally didn't right? Like she didn't have to just live this kind of like monotonous, you know, tedious life of manual labor. Guys. I mean, monotony yeah. is, I think the word to describe it. Um, yeah. And I think her being an academic is a really interesting part of it because she, you know, she has this brilliant brain, but it's only when she gets outside her house that that brilliant brain is recognized and how many women feel that way. You know, when you're spending all day with an emotionally abusive five-year-old, it's hard to feel like you're being put to your best work or contributing to the world the way you always planned to. And I think that it captured that angst very effectively. I, that scene where she's talking to Dakota Johnson and she said, it's amazing. Um, there's a later scene where she's talking to her and Dakota Johnson, who reveals that she's in her own kind of depression, raising a young daughter in a rocky marriage. She said, why did you come back? And she said, well, they were my daughters and I miss them. I mean, like just it being a mom, is really complicated. It's really, really complicated. And she adds, and I love this line. She says, they're my daughters and I miss them. And then she says, I don't know what to tell you. I'm a selfish person. Yeah. Yeah. And when she said that, I was like, my immediate, my immediate thought was like, yeah, you are a selfish person. I've been watching a movie about you. And then I was like, the fact that she has the impulse to like, even when she's quote unquote doing the right thing there and coming back to her family, that she still feels guilty. Like every decision, she's just like, everything I do is wrong. Like, I don't know. I'm just bad. I'm just bad. I mean, I think, sorry to cut you off, but that's how moms feel, you know, like that's how largely I feel as a mom that everything I do is bad and not good enough. And like, when I get mad at my kids, I feel terrible, but they need to be told that they're doing something wrong. It is very, very complicated to be a mom. And it is very taboo to talk about those complications. And I really respect the hell out of this movie for doing it in the way that it does. I especially, I especially think that they, this would have been a lazier story if they made her character really likable as like the, the 48 year old woman, she's not like, she's not the worst, but like throughout, you're just kind of like, um, you're a little short with people and you're a little bit, you know, mean and cold and I don't want to hang out with her. And I think that it would have been like an easier movie if they were just like, she was this warm, lovely British woman. And then you learned about her, you know, past. And it was just like, oh, she kind of sucks a little bit. And she did these bad things. And it's like up to me, the viewer, to kind of parse that out and be like, but wait, what are we judging her for? And like, what conditioning was she put through? And how might I have some of those similar tendencies that I'm judging that I'm watching on the screen? Can we talk about, well, yeah. 
I, I feel like I'm reliving it and I'm getting stressed. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I thought it's interesting. Cause I'm like, did I enjoy this movie? No. Did I enjoy the time I watched it? Not at all. But was it a successful movie? I think absolutely. Right. Like the scene where she invites, where Ed Harris comes to her apartment or her villa, whatever. And the doll is just sitting um, on the table on the little veranda or whatever. And so maybe we should talk about the doll if you guys want to talk about the doll. So I guess just plot wise. So what's interesting, right? Dakota Johnson is a young mother and Olivia Coleman keeps watching her kind of with, I don't know if it's jealousy, awe, just curiosity. Nostalgia. Um, Yeah. Nostalgia. And Dakota Johnson's daughter has this doll. um, And the day that right. Dakota Johnson's daughter goes missing on the beach and they all search and they, they find the doll or they find the daughter, right. Olivia Coleman finds her. It's like, okay, crisis averted. And at that point you still think, wait, did she lose her daughter in the past? Right. And then it's revealed that the daughter is found, but she lost her doll the same day. And the daughter is like destroyed by this. Right. And it kind of continues throughout the whole movie that she is really traumatized by the loss of her doll. And then it's kind of immediately revealed that Olivia Coleman has taken the doll. Right. She (laughs) shows up in her car and like, just pulls out of your bag. Were you guys shocked at that moment or what did I, it's just so absurd. I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are. So, so this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, where I thought the family is going to do something to her the whole time. And when she gets in the car and opens her bag and the doll is in there, she looks surprised. And I was like, the family hid it in there because they're going to frame her. Like I was throughout the movie. I was like, when is this family going to get her? And they never do. They just kind of suck. And they're just always a little rude to her. And that's sort of it. And I, I think it's a red herring a bit, but I, I, I am very confused about the point of the doll. So I am so happy to hear your thoughts on why it was in this movie. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I don't know, Meg, I want to hear what you think. Cause I feel like having, now that I've read it, I think I understand. So I think it, the doll is like a, a total overt literary device, right? It's yeah. literally what a child pretends to be a mom on. Right. And in the book, it actually talks about, right. You know, and in the beginning when she is observing Nina, right. Dakota, the young mother, and she's watching her, she says, you know, eventually she's like, I realized I was jealous because she seemed to want nothing but her doll mm-hmm. or she seemed to want nothing but her, her relationship with her daughter. Mm-hmm. And that was something I so related to. Like, I feel like that's something I've had. I've had that thought so many times. Like, I wish I just wanted nothing other than this because it's wanting other things that make motherhood so hard. And I don't know if everyone, I mean, I would guess everyone wants something more than like, you know, wiping bums and sweeping the floor, (laughs) but like some people I think want it more than others. And I think that's one thing I do love about her writing is her, her characters are always women and they're always educated, educated. And they've always like fought really hard to get, um, out of their upbringing Anyway, so I think the doll to me, I'm, I, a big part of this for me is like what works in a movie and what works in a book, because I felt like I didn't really get the doll as like a literary device. I got like the peeling, like a, the peeling, the orange thing felt like more of a, it was supposed to be symbolic, but of some of what, I don't know. Um, yeah, something. So the doll to me, like, and in the movie or in the book, it talks a lot more about how, um, you know, when the worm comes out, out of the mouth of the doll. Yeah. 
it talks about how the little girl had put something in the mouth of the doll because she wanted it to be pregnant and she had pretended that her doll was pregnant. So, and right. If you think about like the title of the lost daughter, I was like, okay, who does that apply to? It applies to, you know, you think it's going to be literally Nina's daughter. Then you think it's the doll. Then you think, is it Olivia Coleman? Right. When it's revealed that like, she has this bad relationship with her mother and she's, you know, figuratively lost. Right. So I think, sorry, I'm talking in circles because there's <laughs> but yeah, the doll, I think I'm just curious if you guys, yeah. If you thought it, what you thought it represented, or if it was just to heighten the drama, because that scene where Ed Harris comes over, right. And you're like, hide the doll. Like, yeah, he's going to tell the family that you have the doll. The family's put out like a missing poster for the freaking doll. And she knows they're bad people and like they're dangerous. Right. And then I was like, is she going to hide the doll? They're sitting there forever. And the doll is just like visible behind them. And it's that perfect moment of like, nothing's happening, but happening, but I'm so stressed. (laughs) And then they go out on the deck and he just sees the doll and doesn't say anything. I don't know what to think of it. Meg, what do you think? I mean, okay. So I, I've spent the week (laughs) trying to decide. And I think what it is was her, um, mourning the kind of mother that she was grieving the kind of mother that she was. I think that the moment where she buys doll clothes to put on the doll, um, signifies to me that it was a, a small symbolic do over for her. And I think her obsession with Nina and Nina's daughter is also, uh, her processing that loss that she wasn't the mother she was told, mothers should be. Um, and then the, you know, the gunk coming out of it and the worm is kind of like that. It's a, it's a rotten pursuit. Um, and it's, uh, not worth dwelling on, um, to, to kind of change gears a little bit. It's interesting that you bring up where she came from because when she leaves, And her husband is begging her to stay. And he says, I'm going to your mother's. And she said, don't you dare. They'll turn. How can you take them to that place that I fought so hard to get out of? And it felt Rebby, like, again, I was like, you jerk, like stay and raise me, you know, but it was like, it was almost like she felt like she had to leave for them to be better and him taking them there uh, would make them worse, but she did, she didn't want it to be her problem. It was his problem, but she still wanted to say, and how he dealt with it. It was such like a role reversal, right? Because if a man did that in a movie, it would be, it would feel normal, right? Like the man's leaving. He has these commands for his women, for women on the way out, like any movie, but this it's like, don't you dare take them there. I'm still leaving. And I thought that was just so, weirdly empowering (laughs) and again like i feel very complicated about that about how weirdly empowering that was sorry to sorry to side with the straight dude but i felt so bad for him in this movie and of course and we we of course didn't see much of him you know like we he his character was really one-dimensional for our perspective like it's flashes of him but he's the one who stayed with the kids and what we gather from the movie is like he raised them and continued to have a good relationship with them there's a a part in the movie where one of her daughters it appears calls her and is complaining about something. And she's like, well, have you asked your dad about it? And so like, it's clear that he sta- stayed in their lives. 
And it was so hard. That scene where he's begging her not to leave them is so heartbreaking. I did. I don't know. Was it? Uh, my heart was not breaking for him. My heart was breaking for the children. The way he was okay. talking to her felt very disrespectful to me because he starts out pleading and then he he immediately switches to um, degrading. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and this, again, is probably a result of having a one dimensional character. I think that we had a de- desperation. And again, he's the one who stayed with the kids. Right. And like and continue to deal with them. And I think he's pleading and begging and she's not doing it. And like that, when when you feel like somebody is heartless toward you, it can have the effect of just turning you off, right. Turning off your emotion. And I I feel like that's what we saw was like, he is truly heartbroken and terrified. And then he sees that she's just sort of from his perspective, just plain faced. Right. And she's just like, I'm doing this. And he's just like, well, fine then, you know, and it's, it's sort of like that like, I guess I'm the one who has to stay here and do this. So like, fine, you know, and, it, and, and so that aggression, I don't know. I just, that's true. It, you know, I, I again, no, yeah. Again, like this is one of those things where like, if you do the role reversal, it would be so easy to be like, well, that guy's terrible and poor mom, Yeah, you know, but like here the, re- the role is reversed. And like, we should kind of have a similar like feeling about the two characters and that kind of dispute. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I think the ending was fascinating um, because I think, again, the movie wants you to believe this whole time that she checked out as a mom and never quite checked back in, Yeah. Uh, maybe only physically. And then she has this wonderful call with her daughters at the very end. And you're like, oh, so you guys, you guys fix some stuff. So like, oh, that's possible. You know, it was just very um, expertly deployed. Um, and obviously like the symbolism of her, like falling and like having this, um, true low and then waking and having that call with her daughters felt like a a rebirth or whatever. But I, um, I, I, it was just a really well done movie. Literally everyone is amazing in this. Yes. And I've never been a Dakota Johnson person. She is so good at this movie. She's good. Oh Yeah. She canceled Ellen and then she did this, you know, what can't she do? <laughs> um, the New York yes. times did a synopsis of this. They did like a movie roundup and it was so funny. They said rated R for joyful adultery and depressing parenting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Amazing. Make that the tagline. I know. I'm curious. Would you guys recommend this movie? Like, how do you recommend this movie? I think anyone you can recommend this to. Like- I, I think I would tell people who really like movies, you know, movie buffs. I think I would say this is an extremely well-made film with great performances. It's not a super fun watch, but if you're into the Academy Awards, then you must watch this. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I, th- to me, it reminded me like uh, the Oscars, they need more, um, they need more categories because how do you compare this Right. It's like that year that was like Moonlight was up against La La Land. And it was yeah. like, this is, <laughs> it was not how working. You, yeah, yeah. How do you compare this to, oh, something I watched, by the way, that I forgot to mention, Belfast, which is mm. such a delightful, perfect film. If you guys have not seen it, it's on, I think, Netflix. Um, so lovely. 
and a huge, it's like top of all the Oscar contender lists. How do you compare this to something like that that brings joy? I don't know. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's it, it's it, it's extremely good. Um, it, it for what it's worth, I've been thinking about it for three days. Yeah. Totally. So Maggie Gyllenhaal, I hope that she gets a nomination for this. I think this was a really strongly directed film, and yeah. she did a great job and she really you know obviously understands a woman's perspective i love her i love maggie gyllenhaal i would love to see her get an award for this i know i'll be curious what she gets it for like because i know she worked in tandem you know or all her choices were kind of vetted by elena ferrante whoever interesting so how would they handle that i don't know over email like oh. zoom with a bag on her head. Yeah. yeah. And she probably know. has like an LLC to accept payments. Right. So she yeah. never has to tell anyone she's like the Banksy of authors. It's honestly so fascinating. And I, I know I like am annoying about her books, but I, I really think if you have any more like tolerance or questions about this movie, I think it's worth reading the novella. It's like a two hour read. And okay. I think it, for me was like, well, I, I, I couldn't decide because I read it and I thought, okay, this is a, a book that works as a book because it's so, there's so much of her interior, right? You get, you just get inside her head more. It's all written from um, Olivia Coleman's perspective. So I think you just get a lot more of, of like that depth. And it just, I, and I thought like, this is why, okay, like literary books like this don't work in movies. And then I thought, or just do, or do we just not see enough movies that try to like elevate to that level of symbolism right and like yeah. not telling you all the answers and not having it perfectly tie in a bow in the end and just instead be provocative and like yeah so I don't know where I ended out with that but I do think um I think it's it's worth reading she's um okay that's that's good advice and I want to check out her other ones I also before we end I think we just need to mention how good Jesse Buckley is in this as young Lida like Okay, and, what else and, is she in? I'm sorry, I didn't. I have not. I'm not familiar with her. She's in a bunch of stuff I haven't seen. Hold okay. on. Okay, because I was gonna say I'm like at the end of it. I'm like she was. I thought her performance was incredible. And it's I. I read something with Maggie Gyllenhaal saying like, you know, initially they were like, okay, do you do the same actress or, you know, and like age her? But she's like, this story is way too raw and real. Like. We're just, we're all adults here. We're using different actresses. They're incredible. Like get on board. It's two incredible actresses. I I love it. It, Was she not the woman from um, the Princess Diana movie? She looks like that woman from the Princess Diana. No, her husband is Prince Charles in Princess Diana. Oh, and I thought, she, movie. I thought she was the woman who plays the woman who was in love with Princess oh, Diana. No, that's the Shape of Water lady, um, oh, Sally, yes. whatever. Okay, yeah. but she was in Fargo, which I still have not, the the series, which I still have not seen. She was in Judy. Didn't you see Judy, Eli? I saw Judy. Who was she in Judy? I don't know. I don't want to open it because okay. then I'll lose my spot. But Chernobyl, yeah. she was in Chernobyl. I recognize her from Chernobyl. That's what it's Yeah. From. Yeah, she plays the the wife of one of the guys who gets like really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that show was rough. That was one of the most incredible series and so hard to watch. Yeah, I still get sad when I think about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking of ending things, which I still haven't seen. Um Rebby, thank you for recommending this movie. Like I truly watching it was turmoil, but I'm really glad 
that I watched it. Yeah. Me too. me too. It's given me a lot to think about. I feel like anytime I recommend her, I say like, she will wreck you in the best way possible. Like yeah. you will be wrecked and you'll be so glad that you were because yeah, it's like just, I think she's Glenn doing and what- Doyle wishes. Exactly. And that's what I think she does this. Like, I feel like we are seeing this kind of like women behaving badly as like, it's almost getting stereotypical now, but like she did it first. <laughs> she did it. I feel like better than anyone because it's so, um, specific to, yeah. And like yeah. everything she writes again, cause it's all in Naples. It's so specific to their politics, their culture there. It just, it's so, um, I don't know. It's like the universal and the specific, right. Yeah. It's like, I, I hesitate to even tell people these are femi- like, they're very feminist books because at this point that's like tired and annoying. Right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, I think she was doing it before it became mainstream. So yeah. 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 We didn't even really talk about this, but it's really interesting the way they show Greece in this where I like, I no longer have the desire to visit Greece, you know, <laughs> So were were they in Greece? I thought they were in Italy. They were Greece. in Greece, but Greece. again, oh, okay. it's yeah. Okay. In the book, it would have been in Naples, right? And that's again part of her beef because the family reminds her of the family that she grew up with that she's trying to escape from, right? And yeah, yeah. That moment where she's like enjoying this peaceful beach vacation, and then this massive family. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's like I've all been there. I yeah. want. I want an entire HBO series about that family's dealings, by the way. Oh, yeah. Totally. Like totally separate from this, just like them back in New York running oh, yeah. the mob or whatever they're doing. Oh, yeah. No, they're all, all the men are, it's, they're all mobsters in all her books. Like it, yeah. that is for sure an accurate guess that you had. <laughs> ah, it's brutal. All right. Well, um, Rebby, it's been a pleasure. I mean, watching the movie was not a pleasure. Talking about it with you was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We'll do you, a, a happier one next time, maybe. Um, what do you, what are we talking about next week? Eli, West Side Story? We could do West Side. You, we should do Belfast. Like it's like the okay. number one contender. Oh, for stuff. let's do licorice pizza. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Okay. Me neither. Okay. That's what we're going to do. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.